We've been studying the life of Moses for a number of months now, and today we are going to continue doing that. Last week we looked at the experience of the golden calf, and we noted that there were three groups, even though two of the groups are an individual, but three groups in the story. You have Moses and what his experience is, you have Aaron and what his experience is, and you have the people and what their experience was. Now, last week we studied about the people and we learned that their prophet was gone, the trip to the promised land was delayed, they hadn't learned to put their confidence in God or to rely upon his word, and so some in the crowd agitated for a new God. And the others came along with him. And this week, we will study the story through the experience of Aaron. So please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. And we'll read the story, verses 1 through 8. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. When we think of Aaron, those of you who have been with us on this journey, you recognize that he is the brother of Moses. He's the older brother of Moses, three years older, in fact. And Aaron had been with Moses when the plagues came down on Egypt, when they went through the Red Sea, when the bitter water was turned to sweet water, when water came from a rock, when manna came down from heaven. When they arrived at Mount Sinai, Aaron was there and experienced all that took place. And here he is in the midst of the most important day of his life, or days I should say, when he is called upon to stand in leadership of the people and he fails miserably. To understand his failure a little better, we're going to back up in the Bible just a few chapters and look at a couple of verses. Please go to Exodus chapter 24. 
Exodus chapter 24, the story we're going to read is actually the beginning of the story we are studying today. This took place after God had first appeared at Mount Sinai. The Lord, verse 20, or chapter 24, verse 9, it says, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. They went up to the Mount of Sinai. And they saw the God of Israel. Now some of you may be troubled by that because you've read in the Bible that no one has seen God. And we're going to read in a couple chapters ahead later in a study where Moses did see God, but God is so bright and powerful that he turned his back to Moses and hid him in the cleft of a rock. So at some level, in some way, these individuals... Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel saw God. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. God cannot be really described. So the author, who is Moses himself, says, but under his feet was this beautiful, beautiful paved stone of sapphire, clear as the heavens. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. So we're going to add that to Aaron's experiences. He ate and drank with God. It goes on. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, first mention of him in this story, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. So Moses and Joshua go up to the mountain, and Moses said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. So Moses says, Aaron and Hur will be the leaders in my absence. If there's any problems, go to them. They will solve them for you. They did not remain on the mountain as the story unfolds. We recognize they were down with the people in the valley. So it says that Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain and the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days and on the seventh day, God called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So Moses is on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Aaron and her are down with the people, and they're waiting 40 days and 40 nights. We come to the end of the 40 days and 40 nights in chapter 31, verse 18. Let's go there, please. Chapter 31, verse 18, it says, And when he, that's God, had made an end of speaking with him, that's Moses, on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. That's the background. We're looking at a man who had seen the plagues of Egypt, crossed through the Red Sea, 
seen bitter water turn sweet, saw water come from a rock, experienced the manna, saw the magnificent display of God on Mount Sinai, saw God, ate and drank with God. And this man is waiting with the others for 40 days while Moses is up on the mountain. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 32 as we work our way through this. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. There's no mention of her in the story. Aaron is asked to make us gods. So he says in verse 2, break off your golden earrings and bring them to me. So they donate their earrings. Verses 3 through 5 describe that he makes a golden calf out of the gold. He erects an altar and he calls the people to worship. So Aaron, their leader, their designated spiritual leader at this point, makes a calf for them to worship, creates an altar, and then calls the people to worship the calf. It begs a question. One would assume he knew better. So the question is, why did he give in to the people? Why did he give in to the people? You know, we are not told why he did, but we are given the excuses he used when he was confronted by Moses. And those excuses are rather telling about the human experience. And we'll discover that Aaron's experience, sadly, is our experience. Let's look at Exodus 32, verses 21 and 22. Moses is confronting Aaron. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people. They are set on evil. The first thing we notice about Aaron is he blames the people. You know them, Lord. They're bent on evil. They're unruly. They're hard to live with, these people. And that is the sad same tired story from the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned. Adam blamed the woman. The woman blamed the serpent and blamed God for making the serpent. Now, bad enough that Aaron failed so miserably, but now he is blaming the failure on others. Blaming the failure on others. You know, that is a common human experience. Let me ask you, how many times have you heard someone say, maybe you've said it or thought it, she makes me so mad, or he makes me so mad. Now, being angry unless we're in the Lord, and it's not 
common that we are angry and in the Lord at the same time. It's usually an expression of our carnal nature. So for me to say, they make me mad, I am blaming someone else for the expression of my carnality. Same thing Aaron did. You know the people. Or how many times have we been compelled to follow bad behavior simply by thinking, well, everyone is doing it. Maybe we have a business and we're in competition with other people in the same business and we all advertise we have a quality product but we know our competitor is using inferior material that costs less and they are undercutting us financially because they can charge less but they still advertise they have the same high quality material what's the temptation well everyone's doing it we're gonna stay in business we, we got we to gotta go along. So how many times in our lives have we failed simply because we are blaming other people? Well, it goes on, Exodus 32, verses 23 and 24. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron continues. This next one is a head-scratcher. He says, And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Wow. Look what happened. I didn't plan that. Look what happened. So Aaron's first excuse was the pressure of the people. Aaron's second excuse is worse. He says, it just happened. He put the gold into the fire and the calf came out. He didn't make it, it just came out. Have you ever said, heard, or thought, I didn't plan this mess I'm in, it just happened. I didn't plan to get a DUI, I was just at the bar. I didn't plan to drive drunk that night, I just was too drunk to walk. How many times have we tried to excuse the choices we've made on circumstances around us? Just blame the circumstances. Blame people. Blame the circumstances. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Listen, God has given us the freedom of choice. It's a beautiful, wonderful gift. But there are consequences to every choice we make. Every choice has its consequences. And the consequences that we are living in our lives are because of our choices. And we need to own that. Or we will never experience what God wants us to experience. Well, I have a question for you. What sin did Aaron commit in making this golden calf and calling the people to worship.
and perhaps in your mind you're, you're going through a list of them. There's basically one sin that Aaron committed. And this, my friends, is a haunting sin. This is the one that you and I have got to really wrestle with. Notice what Moses says. Exodus 32, verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Now when I read that, I'm thinking, What did they do? What kind of pressure to cause you to cave in? And so forth and so on. And that's part of it, but really, it means something else. New International Version says it this way, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? It means this, how did they injure you so greatly that you have now so greatly injured them? His sin was a lack of love. He did not love them enough to say no. He did not care about them enough to confront them with the reality that your behavior is going to cost you dearly. Instead, he went along with it. They wanted to participate in activities that he could have identified for them as sinful. It may have stopped it. They may have killed him. But love would have said something. Now I share this part of the story with a great deal of fear. Let me explain why. There are plenty of parents here who know the sins of their adult children and are perplexed as to what to do and what their role is in helping those children understand the dangerous paths that they are walking. And they may think in this story they find an excuse they've needed to confront their children about their behavior. Because love does confront. But let me throw a flag of caution before your eyes. I cannot give you a principle that applies straight across the board to every circumstance and situation and person in your life. I cannot do that. What I can say is that yes, it is true. Sentimentalism seeks to understand the misbehavior of people and in so doing many times condones it, supports it, and enables it. Excuses it. Well, they, well, they, too bad this, whatever. Love is not sentimentalism. Love is looking somebody in the eye and saying, your behavior is wrong. It takes love to do that. But sometimes in our zeal, and maybe not in love, as parents, we may confront our children and actually push them farther away from God. So that's why this is dangerous. That's why this is difficult. I know it's something we need in our repertoire. It's something we need.
in our lives. But what we need in order to do this properly is a very humble walk with God. We must be praying, praying, praying for the right time, the right place. Because the Bible says there's a time to speak and there's a time to be quiet. There's a time to fight and a time to love. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. There are times for things. And sometimes it's not our timing. And so we must be extremely careful when we confront our grown-up children about the life they have. One of the things is very clear in Scripture. And would you show John chapter 16 on the screen? Jesus is talking to his 11 disciples, 11 apostles. Judas has left. It's the Last Supper. And he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Next verse, please. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin. It's not my job as a parent. And it's not your job as a parent. However, there is something in this story that tells us we have a responsibility. Well, one thing is crystal clear. Aaron did not seek to confront the people. They came to him asking him to participate in sin, and he did. So if that temptation comes to us as parents, we need to say, no, I love you too much to do that. And I really don't want you to do it either. Well, what would you do if you were God? What would you do to a man who had seen the plagues of Egypt, had looked Pharaoh in the eyes and spoke on behalf of God? What would you do with a man who was there when you crossed the Red Sea, when the bitter waters were turned sweet, when water came from a rock, when the manna came down, when Sinai was on a smoke? What would you do with a man who had sat down and ate with you and then less than 40 days later he's leading 2 million plus people into apostasy? What would you do to that man? God made him his high priest. God is different than us. Look at Exodus chapter 40. Exodus 40 verse 12. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister to me as priest. What kind of God does that? What kind of God takes someone who has been like an enemy to him and turns them into a friend? And not only turns them into a friend, but says this, Look, who can better understand holiness than someone who's been unholy? Who can better understand some, who can better understand forgiveness and teaching forgiveness to others? than someone who's needed forgiveness and gotten it from God. And who better to teach how to walk with God than someone who clearly did not walk with God? 
And what this story teaches us is that, look, folks, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how awful we've made things in our lives, the choices we've made, how incredibly dumb they were, and the effects of it, and how it's haunting us, look, all that is an opportunity for God to forgive you, fill us with His grace, shower his mercy upon you and to say this all right now let's take all your failures and turn them into a ministry you're my person you're the very person I need because there are many people making shipwreck of their lives you can warn them or if they've done it already you can say my life was a shipwreck but let me tell you about God let me tell you about a God who loved me so much he died for me. And he rose from the dead. And he's coming back for me. And this God has forgiven me. He's forgiven every sin I've ever committed. He has filled me with grace and made me feel good about life and good about myself. And he has turned the wreck of my life into ministry that's the kind of God we serve and I'm wondering if there's anyone here today who would like to say God I'm in I want your forgiveness I want your grace I want your mercy and I want you to take my wreck and turn it into a ministry if you'd like to say that to the Lord I invite you to stand Father in heaven all to you we surrender we got nothing Lord and you got everything and by your grace and with your forgiveness we can be something Help us, Lord, to minister despite who we are and what we've done. And help us fulfill the role and the calling you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name.